We are a bilingual church here at City Light Mosaic. My name is Tanner Devereaux. Um, I serve on staff here, kind of. They just really keep me around to fix things that I never finish and to preach the word sometimes. So we're super grateful for that. Uh, but but we, uh, we exist to multiply diverse disciples and churches that are unified in the gospel of Jesus. Uh, and I just really want to take time to just kind of lift up our pastor right now, Jacob. They're away right now for, for the moment, Jacob and Aaron and actually Alam and um, their wives, they're all gone for the moment. But I want you guys to know that like my wife and I were seriously considering leaving Omaha, Nebraska and going back home to Missouri after uh, we had some experiences with our first church plant that really hurt our heart. But something that was really great about Jacob was that he saw us kind of when we were broken and we were getting ready to leave and he picked us up and he was like, come to our church again. Um, Let's send you back out. We'll give you the fullest support that we can and as much love and I'll build you up as much as I can. So like that's the heart of our pastor, amen? He's a great man. He is a great pastor and we really appreciate him so much. Much. Uh, without further ado, though, let's go ahead and jump into our Bibles. If you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And so, over the last, uh, let me pray real quick. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. God, we think about uh, Easter that has just passed, and we celebrate the risen King. And today, in the in the Gospel of John, we're going to close uh, this Gospel. And we see how you, uh, how you resurrected and how you appeared to three of your, or you appeared to your disciples the third time. So God, we pray this morning that, that just because Easter has passed, we wouldn't um, get out of the routine of celebrating the fact that we have a resurrected king. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, open our minds and open our ears to receive your truth this morning, God. Would you allow your words to be spoken through me just as a broken vessel, God? Would you use us uh, this morning in all the ministries? Uh, God, would you minister to the kids' heart back there in, in, in the children's wing? And, and would you even save a soul this morning, God? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we've uh, gone over the last few months, we've been surveying the Gospel of John. And it's been a pretty exciting uh, journey to say the least, right? Uh, we've come to know Jesus in a fuller and in a deeper way as we've examined how he loves people and how he opposes the agendas of the religious leaders um, around him at that time. We've come to know Jesus as the great I am, right? We've come to know Jesus as the bread of life, as the light of the world, as the door, as the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And we've come to know Jesus as the true vine, most importantly, in context here today, we have come to understand the purpose of this book that you may believe. John is an evangelist, and, and, and naturally here, he desires for his people, for, for, for the people who are reading this book, to know Christ as the Son of God and to believe that we may have life. That's John's purpose in writing this book this morning. Or t- today. Uh, as we finish this book of John, Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and as we will see this morning, appearing to his disciples for the third time. But what do we find Jesus' disciples doing here in the closing chapter of John? Here we find Peter and the disciples going against everything that Jesus told them to do. And let's, let's get to our first point now. Uh, the, the pursuit of the wayward sheep. If you've ever read the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, or Luke, then you know that Jesus handpicked four fishermen to leave behind their trade and to follow him. And if you've ever, ever read any of the gospels, then you know that Peter is one of a kind. Peter is, is uh, he has a foot in place of where his mouth should be, right? Peter's always saying stuff that gets himself in trouble. And if you've ever read any of the gospels, 
After Jesus had resurrected from the dead and appeared uh, to his disciples twice, Peter decides, actually here in this gospel, uh, to lead the other disciples on a fishing expedition. Let's read the text. Verse one, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana, of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Now this wasn't no ordinary fishing trip. You see, Peter was deliberately returning back to his old way of life, to his former way, uh, ways of living as a fisherman. And I want you to think with me here for a second. Peter, uh, who, who made the great confession of Christ being the Messiah, the disciple who walked with Jesus for three years, the disciple who swore he would never forsake Jesus, the disciple who denied Jesus again and again and again three times, the disciple who stood at a distance while his master was handed over to be tortured and crucified. This disciple, after Jesus appeared to him, decides to go back to fishing. Peter was discouraged. Amen? Peter was humiliated. Peter was uncertain of how to do the very thing that Jesus commissioned him to do, which was to go and make disciples. It wasn't to fish for men, or it wasn't to fish for fish, it was to fish for men. Amen? Are you guys awake this morning? Okay, I was making sure y'all are still with me. It's cold outside. We like to hibernate when it's cold, I know, but Come on in here, wake up, it's okay. We could all stand up and say hi to everybody, but we're not gonna do that. So uh, anyways, so in Peter's doubt and his uncertainty and his shame and in his sinful flesh, Peter returned to the very thing that he knew how to do best, and that was fishing. Only that night, these men, they caught nothing. And these are like experienced fishermen. They're from Galilee. Like that's what they do there in Galilee is they fish. And they're fishing with these massive nets, Huge nets. So you can't tell me that they didn't catch at least one dinky little fish all night long. I mean, you can't tell me that, that, that they didn't know how to catch at least one dinky little fish. And you might say to me this, I know how to fish. I'm super passionate about fishing. I know everything there is about fishing. So if the moon isn't right, you know, if it's not the right temperature, if they weren't in the right spot, you know, if they weren't holding their mouth right when they was fishing, that you know, got their tongue stuck out the right way, maybe that's why they didn't catch enough fish or why they didn't catch any fish. There's a number of reasons why they weren't catching fish. But I'm here to tell you today that the size of the boat, the phase of the moon, the depths of their nets, none of that had to do with anything for the reason why they didn't catch fish. The only reason they didn't catch fish all night long was because Jesus said so. Jesus said they wouldn't catch any fish because Jesus is sovereign over all things, even the fish. He declared that they wouldn't catch none. Look at the text with me there at verse, verse four. But when the day was now breaking, I love this about Jesus. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And here it is. So Jesus said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said, and he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. Do you see the truth here this morning, church? The disciples deviated from the plan of Jesus that was laid out before them. The disciples began to go wayward, leaving behind the call of Jesus and pursuing the ways of the world that were comfortable to them. However, Jesus would not give them success in returning to their former manner of living. 
And you can't tell me that the net being on one side of the boat versus the other side, I'm not saying this is a huge boat. It's probably, what I don't know, maybe six feet long at the widest point, I'd imagine. You can't tell me that the net being on that side or this side had anything to do with him catching fish. Instead, Jesus showed up on the shore that morning to declare that he is Lord and that his calling and his election will stand, withholding the fish from their nets until he said so. Jesus would not give them success in them returning back to their former manner of life. And personally, I believe that Peter and the disciples needed this exact moment in their life. And if you remember in in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus called Peter, when he called James, when he called John, the miracle that Jesus performed in calling them directly resembled this account that we're talking about here this morning. Amen? Amen. Like in in Luke 5, Jesus is teaching from the boat of Simon Peter and he tells them to go ahead and put out in the deep for the catch. And it's in this moment that Peter's like, dude, we've been fishing all night long and we ain't caught any fish. Yet as he lets his net down, it's so filled with fish that the net begins to break. Amen? And Peter's reaction was this. It was to fall on his face. It was to proclaim his sinful nature and it was to tell Jesus to get away from him. In which Jesus would reply, don't be afraid. For now on, you will be fishers of men. And let's continue with our text and see what happens after this miraculous catch, picking up in verse seven, and we'll go to verse 14 there. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know to be John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they, got in, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I don't want us to miss this this morning, church. When Peter was called in Luke chapter 5, And when he witnessed that first miraculous catch, he proclaimed his sinfulness. He told Jesus to get away from him. But here in this moment, here in this moment, when he witnesses this miraculous catch, what does Peter do? He puts his clothes back on for where he was stripped for work. He jumps into the sea and he swims to shore to meet Jesus. Peter had denied Jesus. He rejected him. And Peter wept bitterly at this, full of shame and full of guilt. Peter was yet to be restored. See, Peter was unsure of his calling to be a fisher of men. Peter was scared. So he returned back to his old way of life, what he knew how to do best. But how does Jesus receive Peter? Now, he don't wait with a stick, waiting to smack Peter right upside the head as soon as he comes to shore, does he? No, instead, Jesus prepares a meal. He prepares a fire for Peter and his disciples to comfort them, to love them, and to remind them of Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers of men. Amen? Don't you love this about Jesus? Don't you love this about Jesus? Even in our disobedience, even when we stray as wayward sheep, he continues to pursue us. 
The Bible paints a vivid picture that Christ is the good shepherd. And in our mess, Jesus pursues us through the heights and depths of where we have traveled away from him. Christian, in our darkest wanderings from him, Jesus proclaims that we are in his hand and no one can snatch us out of it. To all who hear the sound of my voice today, to all of us who have strayed from the fold, to all of us who have returned to our former manner of life, to all of us who have abandoned the calling and have sought to pursue the world, you will not be lost if you are a Christian in Christ this morning. Jesus knows exactly where you are and he is pursuing you. It doesn't matter if you think that you have gone too far. It doesn't matter what you think. Listen to the sound of his voice this morning saying, cast your net on the right side of the boat. Amen. Listen to his voice. Dive into the waters of faith and swim to the shore where Jesus is waiting on, waiting for you. It doesn't matter how far you have gone or what you think you have done. Return to the good shepherd. Not only does Jesus pursue his wayward sheep, but he also restores his sheep, recommissioning them into the ministry. This is my second point here this morning. The restoration of the wayward sheep. Let's read verse 15. Look down at your Bibles for me. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that, uh, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. These three verses have to be some of the most impactful verses in the entire Bible. It was around a fire, catch this, it was around a fire surrounded by people that Peter didn't know that he denied Christ those first three, or those three times, right? He's, Jesus is being betrayed, he, 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 is, he is going to be arrested, or he's arrested, he's being betrayed, he's going to, to be crucified, he's going to go stand trial, and Jesus is in a courtyard by a fire surrounded by people he doesn't know denying Jesus three times. And it was around a fire on the beach of the Sea of Tiberias, that Peter, surrounded by his best friends, would confess Jesus three times, being restored into the ministry that Jesus had called him into. We see Jesus ask Peter three times if Peter loved him or not. And in English, we're kind of like, man, why do you just keep asking him that, Jesus? It's pretty repetitive, and it's, it's a tad bit puzzling. Why would Jesus ask so many times the same question over and over? And I'll tell you why Jesus would do that. Peter's repentance would ultimately need to match his rebellion. Jesus had Peter confess his love for each time that he denied him. The third time that Jesus asked, this ultimately grieved Peter because it brought to his mind the depths of his denial of Christ. It probably brought to his mind that third time that he denied him around that fire and that rooster crowed. It grieved him in his heart. The first two instances that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus asked uh, Peter, uh, the first, let me say this again. The first two instances that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus used the form of, of the Greek language, the form of love in the Greek language for an unconditional and perfect kind of love, agape. 
But with each response, Peter replied with a form of love in the Greek language for a warm affection, a brotherly love. It's like, I really like you. It's phileo. You see that it's not this kind of love that that Jesus is after, church. Jesus isn't after this warm affection, this I really like you. Jesus wants to remind Peter that he must love him more than anything else. So he says, do you love me more than these, Peter? Do you love me more than the nets, the boats, the bobbers, the fish? Do you love me more than all of this stuff? Now, if you love me, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep. If you love me, tend my sheep. If you love me, Peter, leave all of this behind. Notice here that Jesus, though, he, he, he doesn't disqualify Peter from the ministry. He doesn't disqualify him from the ministry that he's laid out before him. Jesus doesn't take Peter behind the woodshed and discipline him. Jesus knows exactly what it will take to grab a hold of Peter and to restore him. Jesus goes straight for the heart and he says, do you love me? Let me pause and ask us this very question today, church. Do we truly love Jesus? Or do we love the things of the world more? Do we love our jobs more? Do we love our cars more? Do we love our spouse more? Do we love our children more than Jesus? Do we love our ministries more than Jesus? It's very evident to see uh, what we love the most in life by what we make a priority. You can look at your schedule. I can look at your schedule and I could tell you what's most important to you in your life. It's evident to see what we love the most in life by what we talk about the most. It's evident to see what we love the most in life by our obedience or our disobedience to God. We cannot say that we love Jesus and deny him. We cannot say that we truly love Jesus and we don't tell anybody about him. We cannot say that we truly love Jesus, yet we are committed to practicing sin habitually. I'm afraid that we have this serious gospel deficiency in our lives, church. We we refuse to proclaim the gospel to ourselves daily. We refuse, uh, we refuse it so much that we forget the lengths that God went to in order to secure our salvation. We forget that he loved us enough to send his only son in the world to die for us. We deprive ourselves of the gospel so much throughout the week that we look nothing like Christ, yet we look only like the world. I'm going to be honest, for the past, uh, past uh, few months, the most important thing to me has been working You know, I've got bills to pay and I've got food to put on the table. I've been taking this mindset of I'm the protector and provider of my family, so I need to do everything that I can to to protect and provide them. And I'm not, provide for them. I'm not saying that, that work is a bad thing, but what I am saying is that God called me to Omaha not to build a business and consume myself with work, but God called us to Omaha to, to, to plant a church. And I've been getting it all messed up trying to build this business and working my tail off, and not trusting in God to provide for me. I've been making work a top priority in my life. My work has been stealing my time, it's been stealing my training, and it's been stealing my conversation. I look just like Peter. Before I moved here to Omaha, that's what I did was some construction work. And as I prepared this message, I kind of felt like Jesus was saying to me through his word, Tanner, do you love me more than these? Do you not trust me enough to provide for you? Seek first my kingdom and all these things will be given unto you as well. And if I love Jesus with that unconditional and perfect love that he requires, then I must remember the calling that he has on my life and that is to feed and shepherd his flock. 
And maybe you're just like me this morning. Maybe you've been sidetracked by your job. Or maybe you've been sidetracked by something else. Maybe you're just like me and maybe you're just like Peter and you've begun to trade the call of God on your life in for something different. Maybe you've gone wayward and you've began to seek not the things of God. Again, I invite you to swim to the shore where Jesus is waiting. Listen to his voice. Eat with him. Sit around that fire and fellowship with Jesus. And let's give Jesus our entire heart and be restored this morning. God has called us each individually to live and look like Jesus wherever we are planted. That means wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play, we make much about Jesus. Every one of us, if you are a Christian, are called to love Jesus in this way. That means wherever he's placed you to live, placed us to live, we proclaim Jesus, we make disciples. Wherever he has called us to work, we live and we look like Jesus, seeking to make disciples. Whatever he's gifted us to do recreationally, live and look like Jesus and seek to make disciples. Let's live on mission in everything that we do, signifying that Jesus is our utmost priority in our lives. He's not seeking a performance this morning, church. He's after our hearts. He's after our hearts. As Jesus restores Peter next to the fire that morning, getting to the very heart of the issue, which was Peter's love for him, Jesus then proclaims to Peter the death that he would die and result of Peter's love for him. Third point, the slaughtering of the sheep. Let's read verse 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. What does that sound like? In Fox's book of martyrs, if you guys don't have that book, I seriously encourage you guys to get on Amazon and get it. Fox's book of martyrs, F-O-X-E-S, book of martyrs. It's an incredible book that illustrates uh, in vivid detail the deaths of many saints that have died for the sake of the gospel throughout the centuries because they so desperately loved Jesus. And this book records the death of Peter. And it's written that Peter was put to death by the hands of Nero, Many tried to persuade Peter to flee the city, but after being strengthened by the Lord in a vision, Peter faced a death like that of our Lord Jesus Christ, except for one major detail. Peter was crucified on the cross upside down, according to what history tells us, according to what Fox's book of martyrs tells us, because he proclaimed, this is what he said, I am not worthy to die in the same manner of my, as my Lord. Amen. You see, just like as Jesus proclaimed here in the closing chapter of the Gospel of John, Peter's arms would be stretched out, he'd be girded by someone else, and he would be killed for his love for Jesus. In this prophetic word, Jesus commands Peter to follow him. And Jesus was telling Peter, don't you worry about John, because, you know, Peter, he put his foot in his mouth again. He said, well, what, why me? What about him? What about John back there? And Jesus tells him, don't worry about what's going to happen to John or anyone else. Jesus commanded Peter directly, you follow me. You 
follow me. It's like he's saying, it doesn't matter what's going to happen to anyone else. You follow the call that I've placed on your life. You pick up your cross and you follow me. We need to worry about our own walks. Stop worrying about everybody else's. As I said, history tells us that in this, Peter was obedient. His love for Jesus proven perfectly the hour that he laid upon that beam of, uh, that beam of wood and he was crucified. And after this moment of restoration on the shore of Galilee, Peter no longer pursued the things of his youth. He no longer sought his own desires. Peter sought Jesus above all else and ultimately at the end of his life displayed his unconditional love for Jesus that he so requires. That's what Jesus is after. That kind of love that would go to any lengths for him. And oh God, would this be true of us this morning at City Light Mosaic Church? God, would you see it fit that, you, that we would give our lives for the sake of the gospel? God, would you see it that we love Jesus so much that we're willing to go to any length in order to follow him? Anytime, anywhere, anything, God. We are called to suffer. And not only to suffer, but we are called to conquer because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Romans 8, 35 through 37 says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Amen. Come on, somebody. Church, we need to abandon the idea that a Christian is someone who goes to church on Sunday. We need to abandon the idea that if God loves you, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. We need to abandon the slogan of a safe place to follow Jesus. Remember this, that Jesus called us to die. He calls us to bear our cross and to follow him. He calls us to a life of being ostracized, going against the agendas of the world, and suffering. That's what he calls us to, y'all. Listen, we may not all die a martyr's death, but I hope that some of us may. That's right, I hope that some of us may die a martyr's death. You may experience that glory when you get to heaven. But we are all called to suffer in different ways. See, John didn't die a martyr's death. But he did suffer for Christ. I mean, he was arrested in Acts chapter 4. He lost his brother to martyrdom. He losing his friend after friend to die for their faith. Remember, John was the oldest, the oldest apostle left. So he saw every one of his friends die for Jesus. Exiled to the island of Patmos where there's no sign of life. And I'm sure that this is just a small list. There's no telling the number of false teachers that he went toe-to-toe with and fought against. The rejection from the Jews and from the world and all of the ailments that he must have faced and all out of his deep love for the Savior. He did it all because he loved Jesus. Peter and John are just two of the men who turned the world upside down because of their willingness to love Jesus and suffer for his sake. I bet you're probably saying, why are you amplifying suffering this morning? Get off of that, Tanner. Stop talking about it so much. Because church, I'm burdened, I'm I'm amplifying this because I'm burdened about the state of Christianity in America. Did you know that we're far too comfortable? We've abandoned our first loves. Our hearts as a whole seem to be far from Jesus. I'm grateful to look at a church here that is so passionately in love with Jesus that we're serving at every level that we can. So don't hear me condemn you this morning, church, but, but hear me speak this truth about Christianity as a whole in America. 
North America is actually one of two continents in the world where Christianity is declining. That's scary to think, right? You would think one nation under God, we're America. Like you would think that we would always be increasing, but we're one of two continents in the world where we're declining. The Christianity statistics are declining. Everywhere else, God is moving in miraculous ways. Thousands of people are being saved every day in China where people are willing to stick their necks out on the line for Jesus. Here we're unwilling to tell the customer next to us at Starbucks about our Lord that rose and and, and that died and rose again from the grave. Thousands of people are being saved every day in in, in countries where people love Jesus so much that they're not afraid to suffer. And I pray that this could be true of us as we live on mission for Christ here in Omaha, Nebraska. Amen? May we see God move powerfully across our city because we are willing to love the outcasts, because we're willing to stand against the agendas of the world, because we're willing to stand against religion, because we are willing to suffer because of the love that Christ has for us in which he first loved us. So however Jesus has called us to to, to individually suffer, let us suffer well. Let us aim to turn the world upside down for Jesus, knowing that Jesus holds our time in his hands and knowing that Jesus is a miracle-working God who will sustain and preserve us. Lean in real quick quick with me, guys, as we close. Uh, My last point, the true works of the shepherd. Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 24. This is the disciple talking about John, it's him talking, who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In our pursuit of the resurrected king, let us not forget the miracle working God that he is. In the book of John alone, man, this is so amazing. We see, this is just a few of them. We see Jesus turn water into wine. We see him heal an official son from miles away. We see him heal a paralyzed man. He couldn't walk, he can walk again. We see him feed over 5,000 people with just a few loaves in fishes, uh, in fish. He, we see him walk on water. He healed a man born blind and he rose Lazarus from the dead. And not only that, but Jesus conquered sin and death when he too rose again from the grave. Amen. He is a miracle. Go ahead and give him a hand clap. He is a miracle working God. It's okay to clap in church. John said that there are so many more works that Jesus did, but not even the world is big enough to hold all the books that would be written. Amen. Not even the world is big enough to contain all the books that would be written about the miracles that Jesus can do and that Jesus did. And hear me when I say this, one of the greatest miracles that can ever happen is Jesus Christ bringing dead people back to life, right? It, that's what he does. He's a resurrecting God. Jesus can take a person who is, who is so dead in their sin that they stink, that, that they're so dead in their sin that their body is decaying as they approach the gates of hell. Jesus can take that person and he can bring them back to life. Listen up, he, he brings them so fully alive in him that where there was once decay, there is new life. Where there was once a grave, there is a garden. Where there was once ashes, there is beauty. Where there was once a paralyzed, dead person, there is a born-again saint jumping for joy, amen? And it's nothing short of a miracle that Jesus would bring a hell-bound sinner like me back to life in him. 
destined for glory. It's nothing short of a miracle for Jesus to bring a hell-bound sinner like Craig back to life, destined for glory. A hell-bound sinner like Naomi, like Erica, like Adin, like Mario, like everybody else, bound for glory. It's nothing short of a miracle, guys, of what happened in your life, and I pray that we never get over that. The reason why the world is not big enough to contain the books of the works that Jesus did is because his sacrifice and his resurrection is continuing to work today. Day by day, souls are being added into the bride of Christ. Day by day, thousands of people are being raised from death into life because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? The book that will contain the fruit of his labor is his very own Lamb's book of life. And it recorded every name that he died to save. And on that day when the roll is called up yonder, I don't know if you guys, I'm sorry, Patricia. I'm sure you're probably having a hard time with me translating today. But, but uh, when the roll is called up yonder, when I say yonder, do you, who knows what yonder means? Yonder means like over there. Like when the, when it's over there. I'm going over yonder. It's over yonder. It means it's over there. So when the roll is called up yonder, it's an old hymn, I will be there. And so when the roll is called up yonder and Jesus receives his beautiful bride arrayed in perfect white, a splendor of his glory, one of the greatest works will be accomplished. That those that the Father has given him, he has lost none. He will receive his reward. And on that day, as we arrive to the shores of eternity, we too will find our king waiting for us with a feast. We too will find that banquet feast laid out for us. We will find Jesus in his resurrected body, uh, uh, in his resurrected body proclaiming, behold, I am making all things new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We will find our groom, our Savior, our King, our Jesus, and all the works that he has ever done. When we get up yonder, we will find our home in heaven, that mansion that he has prepared for us. And remember the focal point of the Gospel of John. John 20, verse 31. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Most of us have sat through this entire book. Most of us have heard Alam and Aaron and Jacob preach this book time and time again. And if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never believed on his name, then you're lost and you're dead. You're far from God and you need to be saved. The words are simple, guys, in this text. Believe in Jesus and have life. <laughs> Believe in Jesus and have life. Be rescued. And Christian, let me ask you this today. What do you love the most? Who do you love the most? Where is our hearts at today? Are we back fishing? Remember this, it isn't too late to turn back to Jesus. It is not too late to turn back to Jesus today. He pursues us when we wander. He restores our, our soul and he is with us in the slaughter. He is our eternal destination and he is still working miracles today, guys. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Let us suffer well for the sake of the gospel, guys. How has he called us to suffer? Let us suffer well. Let us demonstrate loudly that our heart is devoted to our king. That yes, Jesus, I love you. Let us forsake our former manner of living. 
And let us love the shepherd no matter what it may cost us. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. And if all that we had in the entire Bible was John chapter 21, it would be enough, God. And Father, I pray for every soul that's out here today, including myself, that has wandered from your calling. It doesn't matter what you've called them to, Lord. It doesn't matter if you've called them to just go witness to that neighbor down the street and they continue to reject it, God, whatever it is. Every one of us that has wandered from you, God, I pray that you would manifest yourself to us so, so clearly this morning that we would jump in from the boat into the, shores, or into the water of faith. We would swim to the shore of restoration and we would be healed. God, we ask you this morning, God, to save souls, to break hearts, to restore the years that the locust has eaten. God, we love you. We're so grateful for your grace, for your mercy, and for your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.